Welcome to the Paranormal Pendle podcast, coming to you from the heart of Pendle Witch Country in the northwest of England. My name is Craig Bryant, author, investigator, and collector of stories. Join me as we take a journey into the paranormal, UFO sightings, cryptozoology, and big cats. This is the Paranormal Pendle podcast. Welcome to episode 21 of the Paranormal Pendle podcast, broadcasting to the Paranormal UK Radio Network at paukradio.com. My guest on this episode is author uh, Paul Askoff, who has written a book called UFOs, The Real Story. So first of all, Paul, thank you very much for coming on this evening. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Craig. It's lovely to talk to you. So. Um, could we start off by uh, talking a little bit about your background? Um, just basically tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, career-wise, I've been uh, medical all my life. I was uh, I started off nursing, doing my SRN, then occupational health nursing, and then I was a medic in the army, and finally. Uh, I finished with a paramedic for the Yorkshire Ambulance Service and trauma coordinator, clinical advisor for the last seven years of that. And I've now thankfully been able to take retirement and uh, devote more time to my studies and enjoying life as best I can. So whereabouts um, in Yorkshire are you from roughly? Well, I'm from the uh, south well, dare I say, it was just, I was good to being born just just in South Yorkshire, but I was actually brought up just in West Yorkshire. And in reality, I've lived in West Yorkshire for most of my life, in practically, apart from when we've been on holidays and yeah. my job has taken me in different places. But yeah, been here all my life. So West Yorkshire really is quite, um, quite a hotbed, isn't it, for, for UFO activity, um, especially obviously around the Tobinan area. Yeah, the where where I mean I currently live just south of Leeds uh, near the M62 corridor. Yeah, uh, and so it's quite quite convenient for getting out and about and getting to places. But, but having said that, the I personally believe that provided you don't have too much uh, of, the, of the background light pollution, especially on a night that we do where I'm situated at the moment. Um, but provided you can get away from that and you can see the sky, I believe that most people on a sky watch on a night will see something. Yeah. You're not too far. Well, I would imagine you're not too far from Saddleworth Moor then. Would I, would I be right in, um, or, or c- c- certainly within driving distance? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, for me, it's like the Tony Dodd and the uh, Todd Muddens, maybe three quarters of an hour. Uh, maybe a bit less, depending on traffic. Um, I'm reasonably close to uh, Philip Mantle, who I've known mm. for decades, uh, for the last 30 some years. Um, Philip's probably oof, 20 minutes away. Uh, Paul Sinclair and the uh, Bempton, that's only an hour away. So th- there are a lot of areas. Ilkley, that's only on a good day, 40 minutes away. So it's a nice location to be able to get about and to uh, explore the uh, the areas. My um, 
my maternal grandfather, um, my granddad Bill, was uh, was very fond of Ilkley. Um, we used to go out for drives when I was when I was a little boy. Used to used to go out and go for drives up to Ilkley. Um, I, I believe actually that, that there was quite um, quite a well known um, UFO case centered around Ilkley, um, where something was seen up on on, on Ilkley Moor. I don't know whether you know anything about that or not. Yeah, it was seen by a policeman, uh, the Ilkley alien. Um, and can I say, as far as I'm concerned, the jury's out. I haven't personally interviewed the gentleman in question, so uh, I'm not going to, uh, what can I say, go one side of the coin or the other. Yeah. Definitely an, an odd uh, case. Yeah. But again, a lot, as, as you know, in a lot of things with both the paranormal and within ufology, everything's very subjective because it's really difficult to get corroborative evidence and mm. that's the problem yeah so it would you say then that, that ufos are your sort of main interest i mean obviously um i've done a bit of research on your book and and, and we'll get into that shortly about how it how there's a crossover between ufos and, and the paranormal um because i'm a big believer in that so it'd be interesting to to hear your your theories about that um but would you say that, that UFOs are sort of like your main area of interest? And and really, the, the second question to go along with that would be, um, how did you get into the subject in the first place? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say uh, more on the ufology side than the paranormal. But having said that, yes, I have experienced both. And again, I think these, these things happen. I don't believe in coincidences. When a door closes another one opens and when something's ready to happen in your life it will happen whether you're ready to believe that or not mm. but the thing is for me uh, it was ufology that took over because uh, growing up I had no interest in I, neither of those fields uh, although I was an avid reader I used to re read adventure books that my father used to get from me because my father sort of one of these strict Victorian uh, parents, and you did as you were told. Yeah. Uh, and he, he encouraged, I was the eldest one of four children, and he encouraged us all to read. If we did nothing else, we had to read books. So I was an avid reader, even by the time I was eight, nine, ten years old. I used to read easily two, three books a week. Um, and then what happened that got me interested? We just moved on to the edge of a small village on the south yorkshire west yorkshire border and from our home we, we we literally looked out of our front door onto fields there was just like an asphalt track at the front of the home and then you were straight into fields so as young children we used to we used to just as soon as we'd finished school and we could go out to play as you did then we were straight into the fields and the routine became for my younger brother and i he's 18 months younger than myself I was just 11, so we'd be nine, nine and a half. But our routine was we took our dogs for what we had a couple of dogs, but our neighbor had two dogs and we had this very disabled. He was a war veteran, only got one long, couldn't walk very far. So we used to take his dogs for a walk too. So that was the routine. Last thing at night, we take all the dogs, come back, put the dogs away, say goodnight to mum and dad, go to bed. That was the routine. At this day, we'd been out on the fields. Our home faced due east. And we'd been taking the dogs, and my father was in the garden. 
so we went into the garden to say goodnight. Uh, he was pruning the roses, and <laughs> from that day, I've, I've hated roses ever since, but there you go. <laughs> so, so we sat there, and it was dusk. It was sort of early September. Mm. Oh, th this is when, as far as I can re recollect, it was early September. So the nights were starting to get darker. And where we were then, I mean, obviously, I'm talking a lot of years ago. I'm talking 1968. So there certainly was nowhere near the air traffic that there is now. There was no police helicopters or ambulance helicopters. You know, you were lucky if you even saw a helicopter back then. Uh, but there wasn't the light pollution either. The, the places weren't as built up and as developed. And um, so the night sky was really quite good. Uh, we were on the edge of the village looking due east. My father, we went out to him. He says, come and sit down. And to looking due east from our position, all to the north was completely covered in a thick blanket of cloud, which ended rather abruptly, if you like, on this bank of cloud. And then the whole sky to the south was completely clear. And this bank of cloud almost went directly away from us. So the first stars are appearing to my father. He had a telescope, he wasn't an astronomer or anything like that, but he had an interest and he liked to involve the children like parents do. Yeah. So he's just pointing at the stars and saying, oh, look, can you tell what constellation this is? And as kids, we weren't that interested. You're just like nodding in the right places and saying yes and no, like you do to your parents. Yeah. Uh, slight interest, but there you go. And as the three of us were looking at this, at the sky and the odd star just starting to appear, suddenly out of this bank of cloud came two brilliant white, pearly white, uh, spheres. All, all I can just say is they were, they were football shaped, completely circular, absolutely brilliant pearly white and there was one, if you can imagine like a V formation with one missing, so there was one slightly to one side and slightly behind the other, but nothing apparently joining them together and they came out of the cloud, I mean absolutely zooming out and then boom, stopped dead and they were immediately still and the three of us were stood there mouths agape looking at the sky you could see the light from them uh, reflecting off the surface of this bank of cloud. And as we're looking at that, I got a voice quite clearly in my head and it was directly in my head and quite, I mean, I would say quite loud and for one, to, uh, and I don't ask me why, but I felt it was a benevolent male voice. Uh, that was the feeling I got that came with the, the sound. And they just said, oops, we hadn't meant to have been seen. And that was all I got quite clearly in my head. And then immediately, and they'd only been stationary a few seconds, yeah. uh, they stayed the same position relative to each other uh, and nothing apparently joining them. There were no strobes, no apparent rotation, anything like that, and no sound whatsoever. And then they were moving really fast, going away from us. They stayed the same relative position and they stayed out of the cloud, but moved sort of down the face of this bank of cloud. Mm. And you could actually see the uh, light that they reflected getting lighter and then getting darker as the, as the undulations in the cloud, you know, got closer and further away. The one thing I did notice was as they were moving away from us, um, there was the tiniest little sort of teardrop shape appeared at the back of them. If you imagine like a, an atmosphere sort of sloughing off the sphere, if you like. Yeah. So there was just this tiny teardrop. And again, no sound at all. And there was perfectly stationary. And then, woof, they were moving fast. 
same position relative to each other and they just stayed in that position until they disappeared into the distance maybe a minute later yeah. now the three of us uh had never said anything we're all stood there sort of with our mouths open looking at the sky and my father had done his national service with the area mm. uh, and so we had this interest in aircraft and my father was the first to speak and he just said well there's nothing we've got that can do that right that's interesting isn't it and and it was like from that moment onwards i wanted to know the nuts and bolts and the physics and how could something look like that how could something move like that Mm. Uh, come, and that was the other thing how come I don't know about it how come it isn't in the newspapers it isn't on the news on television and for something that was so for want of a better term so alien it was so bizarre so odd so out of the ordinary it couldn't have been anything else uh, and, and for me it was like it was that it was so obvious so there that anybody could look at it why don't why isn't everybody talking about these things how and did was your, um, sorry? How, how how did your dad react then? Because because you said it, it was quite a well strict. Is I, I think yeah. the word you use pragmatic. I suppose is, is probably a yeah. um, another way of putting it. I mean, how how did he initially react then after he'd sort of said, "Well, we've got nothing that can do that." <laughs> yeah. Well, we we talked. We sort of we had this little discussion, uh, and it was like. You know, did you see, did you hear anything? No. Did you see anything? And I said, well, I heard a voice in my head, but I didn't physically hear anything from those. Uh, if it was a machine, I didn't hear any engine noise. There was nothing like that. Uh, and I've even had this discussion with my brother uh, only last year uh, when I was finishing my book off. Uh, and I said to him, can you remember anything about it now? And he says, I, I remember the incident. He said, but obviously I didn't hear anything as the, like the voice that you did. He said, but also it didn't galvanise me. He said, although to me it was still real, mm. uh, it didn't galvanise me into wanting to know more about it. He said it was just an odd thing that happened. So, but to go on to my father, um, we just had a little discussion then it was off you go to bed. Mm. And he expected us just to go to sleep. And it was like, oh my God, what, 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 you know, and it was, yeah. I'm gonna have to go and get some books. Now in those days, uh, there was no internet. Uh, and being a young kid, you couldn't even drive a car or anything. So it was a case of getting on your bike or catching the local transport into the bigger cities to, to try and fi find a, a bookstore that even stocked books on UFOs mm. because your, your local library certainly didn't. And yes, they did have a certain facility where you could order books, but uh, it was it was a real foot slog in the early days trying to get information and get, get you know, books to read by the good authors that were around at the time. Yeah, because the, there weren't as many uh, books written in the... In the 50s and 60s were there certainly about um about ufos and and there certainly wasn't the interest i don't think that that there is now um i mean i suppose really i mean for me i was i, I was born in 66 so for me yeah. um the first <sighs> taking notice of what ufos could be was probably close encounters of the first kind to be honest yeah uh, close encounters of the third kind sorry um yeah, I mean that as a film sort of got got me piqued my interest in in UFOs somewhat. I mean, did you 
as a child, did you know anything about, say, um, Roswell or anything like that? Did you manage to find any books or or did you just sort of um, carry on wondering what these these orbs were that you'd seen? Yeah. Well, then in, in those days, the sort of the main, uh, dare I say, public, the people that published books, people like Major Donald Keogh, and these were the people that after the Second World War had started writing and looking and noticing things. And so there was Major Don Keogh, Jenny Randalls had started writing then. Yeah. Uh, there, there were others, uh, Jacques Vallée had done his first few as well, like Passport to Magoni and some of the others. Uh, and they were all that sort of just, for me, they were good things that made you think outside the box and yeah. saying, you know, I'm not on my own. Other people have seen these yeah. things and it's, and it, it was good to find things like that. But again, it was years and years and years later uh, before, and it just shows how difficult it is. Um, as Paul Sinclair says, uh, I have a good, my good friend Paul, he says, it's the truth with no proof. Mm. Because people do see these things. Uh, now, I had a really good sighting. My most recent one was in uh, September last year. Okay. And... I just, I'm, I'm just, I'll just for people to so that they're aware of it, it. I'm always looking at the skies, and from our location here, um, we were trying to. My wife and I were trying to add it up the other day and see what we could recollect and what I'd written down and what I put in diaries. And we reckon we've had nine good sightings here, of which I've managed to get photographs of four. Okay. And that, that's just south of Leeds. And I have to say, all of those um, were in the daytime. Right. Now, the, the last one, I'll, I'll go over the last one. It was September last year, nice sunny summer's evening. The children have been playing out. And we'd been doing some, but not much, we've only a small front garden. So we'd just been pottering and doing a little bit. And then the children had been out, and then they'd gone away. So we came uh back to our sort of front room we've, we've got um where we under our kitchen window at the front our kitchen's at the front of the house and mm. we've got a bench so we can sit down there watch the children playing whatever because we live at the top of a small cul-de-sac so as we're there we sat on the bench and there were two aircraft flying over uh oh that's it my wife had gone in she'd gone in to start tea it was about five o'clock thereabouts she'd gone in to start tea as she went in to start tea, I'm looking at the sky like I always do, and I see two aircraft going from Europe, going west over, obviously, to the Americas. Mm. And it was just, we, ha we haven't had that much air traffic lately. No. But to see to see two aircraft sort of side by side, maybe, I mean, there may have been thousands of people between them, but yeah. to see two of the contrails going over, so it obviously gets your attention. And I'm watching them. And then as I watched, uh, behind, as I'm looking at them, behind them, I saw a really bright pinpoint of bluey white light. And it was like, what? Why, how can I see? This was like five o'clock at night. Why can I see a star? Mm. Why, why, you know, in yeah. brilliant blue sky, there's hardly a cloud in the sky. And I'm thinking, well, why can I see that? So I'm looking, then I'm thinking, no, that definitely isn't a star. Get had a look. No, it's not Jupiter. It's not any of the not Venus, not Mars. It's none of those. I shouldn't be. That shouldn't be there. So I opened the front door, shouted to my wife, "Quick, bring, come out and bring my camera." Uh, 
So she came out and what I did was I sort of lined it up with the roof of the house opposite. And it was probably almost due east and maybe between 70 and 80 degrees from the horizon as I'm looking at it. Okay. And it was moving really, really slowly mm. towards our position, moving more overhead. So maybe when I first saw it, it was at 70 degrees. Mm. By the time I'm looking at it with a good pair of binoculars, it's maybe at 80 degrees. So, but it was, it seemed to vary the speed. So it was really almost stationary and then it had moved really slowly. Uh, so she's looking and I'm looking and I've got the binoculars. And I said, well, it's a really bright light. Now, this is something that people may have noticed, whether you're just a witness, eyewitnesses or other investigators. I found that digital cameras often will not focus mm. on, on something that far away. Yeah. Now, I've got a good, uh, it's a good zoom on the camera, could not get it to focus on it, just wouldn't. Mm. Uh, I even finished up to the, getting... Uh, pictures that I did get was zooming right out so so that I was almost normal mm. taking the picture so that I, got, I knew I'd at least got it in the picture frame yeah. and then zooming in. Now the problem with that obviously is it makes it much more pixelated and it's not as clear however this went on and we're looking at it and after about 10 minutes it was still there hardly moved at all so by now one of the neighbours came home uh, so I said, no, Gary, come and have a look at this. So he comes over, he's looking. My wife's, she said, oh, he's hurting my back seat. So I said, right, then you make sure it don't move. And in the garage, we have two reclining uh, chairs. Mm. So I even had time to go in the garage, get two chairs. So we finished up, we sat on our drive on these two chairs, <laughs> looking at this thing through the binoculars. Right. In the end, I went in and got another pair. I've got some night binoculars, some uh, Celestron, 75 times magnification. Really good. Yeah. Uh, and looking at it through them, you could see that it was like a, a donut shape. Okay. But on, but on its end, not, not horizontal, it was yeah. vertical. Yeah. By this time, David, another neighbour, came over. Uh, and he's going, oh, yeah, so I'll say, David, these binoculars, see what you, you tell me what you see. So then another neighbour came over because often, I, I mean, like most people, when you're looking at these things, you know, when space stations going over, anything like that. Yeah. And we have, a, I've sort of got a little four or five of our neighbours that are vaguely interested. And if if we've got a good sighting of the space station, they'll say, oh, yeah, let us know. And, we'll, and we all go out and we all, ooh, you know. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, by the end of it, uh, this is after 40 minutes, uh, it was still almost directly overhead by then, but it had started to move. It's where it was moving in a westerly direction towards us. It stopped and then started moving very slowly in a northerly direction. So it's still probably at about 80 degrees from the horizon. Uh, and by this time, it's maybe probably due east or slightly north of that east-northeast. And I said, right, I'm gonna, I've got a good, I've got a Mead telescope. So I said, right, I'm going to go and set the telescope up and see if we can see it better with that. Now, I went to get the telescope and brought it out. And David, my neighbour, said, this something else. He says, it's still looking like a donut to me. So I got, if you get laid back in the chair where you can sort of brace the binoculars so you're not moving about so much uh, and you can focus them correctly, I could see this almost vertical donut and then around it were these pinpoints 
you know when you're looking at something like uh, if you get an electrical flash and mm -hmm. you get that uh, that after sort of yeah. thing in, in your eyes, so it looks it's so yeah. purpley. Yeah, like on, on, your, yeah, on your retina, yeah. it's like a yeah. shadow, and, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was getting this sort of after image mm -hmm. as I'm looking at this donut around it with this flickering brilliant brilliant white lights that left this after image so it had looked sort of this iridescent greeny purpley uh -huh. around it and then it disappeared and it appeared somewhere else, and it was sort of flickering all around this and then it moved off to the north and disappeared the donut stayed where it was and then another one appeared and zoomed past both of them and it was the same really tiny uh, brilliant brilliant white orbs mm -hmm. that left this sort of multicolored after image Hmm. And that was the other thing that we noticed. Um, both my neighbour and I said there were these sort of greens and oranges uh, within the um, the donut-shaped vehicle or whatever it was. So by now, about eight adults and three or four children had seen it. Uh, and then uh, David had to go in for his tea, but he actually went to the bedroom window and he's watching it, talking to me from his bedroom window, which is maybe only 20 yards away. Mm. Uh, and I'm setting the telescope up. My wife's still at the side of me. And as I was setting the telescope up, David said, oh, it's moving, it's gone. <laughs> and it moved. He says it suddenly started moving quick, more and more quickly. And then it just shot off so fast and disappeared out of sight to the north. Uh, but we reckon we had it in sight from start to finish, probably to about 45 minutes. And there were eight adults, four mm. children at least, maybe five. And we have, uh, I took a series of maybe five, six photographs that were quite good as well. So it's just, again, compared to the first sighting that I had, compared to the last one, I had many more witnesses mm. and managed to get some photographic evidence as well. 45 minutes is a long time, isn't it, for it just to oh, yeah. hover in there, yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, actually, was, was there sort of anything in, in the local papers? Did, did any, any other people see it as well as, as your sort of little group of neighbours? No. Well, they, that's the other thing they may have done, but I've, I'm in a, a few local groups. Mm. Uh, we have local groups, and people do put things on um, mm. if they see something, but nobody had put anything on. And that's something else that's always intrigued me mm. was why do people in sort of see things in one direction and people don't see it from another location, you know? Yeah, that's, it's, awesome, isn't it? yeah. that's very peculiar. Yeah. That's interesting though, isn't it? So, I mean, how, how high would, would you think it was? I mean, did you get any sort of sense of, of scale of this thing or, or was it quite sort of difficult um, given the distance? away from you that it was yeah that, that exactly that that was the problem because they just got this really intensely bright white light you can't tell whether it's just now you see i'm saying you can't tell whether it's a mile away normal air traffic uh when and you see the contrails they're probably between six depending where they are between six and eight miles directly above you mm. so if you're seeing them at maybe 70 degrees you're looking at probably I would say the air traffic's maybe between nine and 10 miles away from you, possibly even more than that, maybe 11 or 12 miles, depending how, you know, what, what they are above the horizon. Mm. So for me, the contrails were behind that. And that was another thing that we noticed 
that the contrails from the aircraft before they disappeared, they moved with the prevailing wind past the bright light to the north. Right. That, that just remained stationary. Right. Uh, yeah. So to me, I would say it must have been at least, I don't know, 12 to 15 miles away, and it could have even been further than that. Right. So, again, you would say it was, I mean, large, huge. Mm. Even. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, if it was if it was that far away and, and you could see the detail on it, um, albeit with a good pair of binoculars, um, yep. that's quite a, a sizable object, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But again, it's now the size of the, my first sighting, the two that came out of the cloud, I would say were equivalent to a five pence held at arm's length. Mm. So they were quite large. Mm. Um, however, this last one, I would say, was much bigger. Uh, but because it was so far away, but again, it's something that's very subjective. And that's just discussing it with my neighbour and my wife. Yeah. Uh, we thought yes, it was big, but you'll never be able to uh, to guess because you don't know. It could have been fifteen miles away. It could have been fifty miles away. Yeah, and interesting then that that there were no other reports. It just seemed to be that um, your group, yourself, and your neighbours saw it. I mean, other people probably did see it. You'd, you'd think that they would if it was that big, um, but strange that it, it didn't sort of. Um, at least end up in, in the newspaper or the local newspapers or some of these ridiculous headlines that the Daily Mail sometimes writes yeah. about, about UFOs, you know. Um, it just seems strange that, that nobody else reported it because it, it sounds mm. like a, quite an amazing object, really. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, I did a, I, I have a page when I'm not banned. <laughs> it seems that Facebook have taken a dislike to me, but... Uh, <laughs> You're not on your own, though. <laughs> no, I keep getting banned, but anyway, the uh, I do have a page on there uh, called It's the Real Story, okay. and I do try and put sightings, and if I see anything or hear anything, uh, and put put it on there. So I put it on there, and this time I, I was speaking to Chris Evers, and he said, will you write it up for me, So and email me, and I'll, he's put it in uh, last month's uh, Outer Limits magazine. All right. Excellent. Did you put any of the photos on there or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's definitely worth worth checking that out then. Are the photos still on there? Yep, I believe so, yeah. Oh. Uh, and also if people go on to the uh on, onto my Facebook page, it's the real story. Yeah. Facebook page. Uh, the photographs are on there too. Okay, excellent. I'll def definitely have to check them out then. Um can we move on to your book? Talk about your book for yes. a bit. Um yep. UFOs the real story. Um, was this prompted then really by your experiences um, to, to sort of sit down and write this book? Or was it something else that that you decided to, to go ahead and write the book? Yeah, well, I think it's part of, dare I say, part of life's experiences and where you are in your life and how busy you are and all the rest of it. And it's, I'm not saying it's, it took me 50 years to write it. However... I think it took me 50 years to get my act together and to educate myself and realise what was happening. Yeah. Because for me, what happens, and I mean, and you may find this yourself, when, and nothing against other investigators, because we've some fantastic investigators and authors out there that do deserve a lot of credit, putting their own time and effort into this subject mm. that's 
ridiculed for the one, you know, for mm. the main part, the media. Yeah, it is. And for me, my per what it is really is my personal experiences that have both paranormal and within the field of ufology mm. and how it's led me to think the way I do and how it's all connected. So it was a way of putting it down as the bigger picture, if you like, the whole pizza rather than pieces of the pizza, mm. where people will just write about Rendlesham Forest or they'll just write about Roswell. Yeah. Or they'll just write about Pascagoula and uh, Calvin Parker's latest books, which are fantastic. However, that's still only one piece of the pie. Mm. And what I wanted to do was provide explanations and show the bigger picture behind that and why people see such a small portion of it. And uh, is it all right if I carry on, Craig? I'll just... Yeah, sure. Yeah, on. absolutely. Right. The, to me, it's all on or within the magnetic spectrum. Mm. So we only see, as normal human beings, see and hear both within the visible and acoustic spectrums mm. less than one less than one tenth of one percent of our electromagnetic spectrum right yeah so at the top end you've got uh, of the electromagnetic spectrum that we normally deal with you've got radio waves at one end and then you come down through the infrared and to our visible and acoustic spectrum and then it goes out through the ultraviolet mm. and the x-rays and the gamma waves at the bottom end yeah so we only see a right tiny amount in the middle now, that is just what we deal with on a daily basis and what our senses are aware of, normal senses are aware of. Mm. Now, these cosmologists and astrophysicists and people with much better brains than I've got are now saying that uh, dark energy makes up the vast majority of the known universe and yeah. that's why things behave they do and that's how they can explain things so you've got this dark matter and dark energy that some say are as high you know as low as maybe 75 some say as high as 95 percent so if that's true of the normal spectrum electromagnetic spectrum that we deal with not only are we only dealing with one tenth of one percent within our bit our mm. bit's only four or five percent within the whole of it if mm. you know what i mean yeah so I've... we see such an incredibly small amount uh, and the problem is that i think that because of the physics and the way that we are what can i say tied to our physics at the moment we're not aware and we're unable to measure and do anything at the moment with the dark energy and dark matter which mm. make up most of the universe and that is the crux of the issue, because I believe that ET, whatever, um, as a coverall term, we'll just say ET, uh, ET that I believe have been interacting with us when they want on their terms uh, since the beginning of time, since the beginning of our time, they are absolute masters of the whole of the electromagnetic spectrum, the whole of the dark energy, dark matter, as well as our bit, Mm. And they completely understand it. They're able to control it. And that is why they can come and go as they please. And we can't do anything about it. And that is also why I think people only see them when 
they they're allowed they're tuned into it if you like or yeah. just in the right place at the right time so the the moving then between the different um wavelengths if if we talk about the visual spectrum um yeah. the moving around between the different wavelengths and we will only see them when they happen to fall within that very tiny percentage that that we can physically see with with our eyes that part of the spectrum that that we can perceive yeah absolutely if you think back to um to to illustrate that the, the deckmont woods incident with robert taylor bless him uh he the first he saw of the ufo was it was see-through and then it became solid and there's another one of uh, instance of this a good one of the the gaffney incident in the u.s uh where it, it, it went on for a while did the gaffney incident there's all sorts of things but mm. part of it this young couple uh i think reading between the lines they'd been having a bit of an argument <laughs> and they were <laughs> they'd been parked up at the side of the road and then looking out the windscreen they saw this outline of a disc-shaped object materialized in the sky coming towards them mm. as it came towards them it fully materialized and became solid but also as it moved through the trees and scrub coming towards them these trees set on fire which if you think about it if something's coming down through the electromagnetic spectrum mm. the the part of the spectrum that's next to that is infrared which generates heat so mm. it's completely logical yeah. that that's that's what would happen now they terrified i mean the ufo zoomed off and they reported it they rang the police and the police duly turned up the fire department turned up put the fire out the police took the statement there but again they were the only two that saw that physically happen mm. and to put it another way for the uh, for any listeners i if you imagine uh, an old stack of vinyl records, so we are on our record, that is our electromagnetic spectrum. Yeah. So what, what we deal with is solely on that frequency, that vibration, okay? Now, you have another 95%, you might have another 95 records yeah. above yeah. Us and below us of equally higher and lower frequencies. And it's when they are able to tune down and tune up and we're not and that is when i believe uh, that we experience uh, and anything and it's same with the paranormal yeah. we get these um areas <laughs> pendle yeah pendle is one of them uh, yeah, of there's, yeah there's all sorts the welsh triangle they've called it the yeah. well the uh, obviously the Bermuda Triangle, but think places like Skinwalker Ranch, places that uh, Paul Sinclair's um, investigating now over Bempton and that way, and on the East Coast, where there's been many strange happenings over that way. And I think we have geographically these areas all over the world where, if you like, the records are almost touching, and in certain circumstances mm -hmm. they do. And that's when people are able to pick up different frequencies and i think that's when you see uh people see bigfoot sasquatch dogman mothman all these other entities and they're not there on our plane they're not there on our record that's why we've never found a dogman that's why we've never found a bigfoot that's why you can't physically go and examine one yeah. and i think they're the same as uh, on the spiritual side of things on ghosts uh 
And that is exactly the same thing. It's a, being able to tune that frequency. And in the right circumstances, people can pick it up. Yeah. Now, just another thing to illustrate this point. One of the things that I've always said was when you get people uh, in the right, it may be the right geographical location, but when they're in this place, they often say when they've seen Bigfoot or when they've seen spirit or when they've seen a UFO, there's no noise, there's silence. There, you know, there's no background traffic, there's no birds in the trees, there's no wind, there's no anything. It's silent, complete silence. And that's because you've moved out of your normal auditory frequency, so you can't hear anything mm. because you're somewhere else. And that's why you also get, I think, this other phenomenon that happens with people when people get very afraid and you get this almost, well, like a visceral terror that some people get. Mm. And it's because I think that comes from your higher self, your soul mm. that knows it's crossing into a frequency where it shouldn't be. And so it's a it's an, an animalistic thing. Yeah. It's a, a what can I say? Well, it's <laughs> Almost like, 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 like yeah, it's like sixth sense, isn't it? In in yeah. In um, is is probably one way of putting it. Where where you know that you're you you instinctively know that that you're in a dangerous situation. Yeah, I mean, one of the other things from this as well is people even such as myself, uh, who doesn't do it that often, but there are investigators that use a lot of electrical equipment, mm. especially in the normal field. And you can be the, with all the best of intentions and you think everything's charged and everything's put on, and then you get somewhere and your batteries are flat. And yeah. it's like, yeah. how did that happen? And it happens, I believe, again, because it's just... Uh, investigators tend to think it's a bad thing, and it's like, oh, damn, I can't record anything. I can't do this. I can't do that. However, in some ways, it should be it should be looked at as a positive to say, look, you were in the right place. You're in the right geographical area. You've obviously burst or broke through into this bubble where you shouldn't be. And the higher energies drained your batteries. And that's what they do. And in some ways, it's a way of confirming that your instincts were right all along and you were in the right place, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I do, and and I think it's um, I think it's a it's a, a really interesting theory because it, it would explain um, a lot of uh, anomalies, shall we say, that that people encounter. Um, certain people, I think, can can tune in on um, frequencies when it comes to things like the paranormal. Um, yeah. You know, people. Certain people can can tune in. Um, I, I I liken it to um, an old radio set where you, you you know you're manually tuning it into a radio station, um, and some people can can just get the the perfect frequency, whereas others are just slightly off. Um, yeah. and so they tend to not have these experiences that the person can who can home in on on that absolute spot-on frequency um can can pick things up but again i mean I've, I've never really thought about that from a sort of cryptid point of view or or even really from from a ufo point of view but again you see that would explain for instance um the story you were you were telling us before about um the the donut shapes you know you you were in a, a group of people perhaps you all shifted slightly 
um, from from our reality, and so therefore you could all see that object. And even though it was so big, um, and and it it would have been or or should have been seen by other people from from areas all around, it wasn't because your little group of people had just slightly shifted. So I think it's a really interesting um, theory that Paul. Really interesting. Yeah, well, I'll go on with that then. So okay. now you you imagine then, well, I'll stick to UFOs and I'll go on to abductions. You talk, people talk about being abducted and how it goes quiet or the, I mean, in the worst scenarios, we always say worst scenarios, but there you go, um, where they abducted and take, I was floated out through the ceiling or I was taken out through a closed door or even through the wall or the window. Mm. If you think about it, if you're able to completely control somebody's frequency, all you've got to do is tune them up or whatever to tune them out. So they're completely in a different place to where the walls are. So they're irrelevant. That's why they can move them out. That's why they recognize specific frequencies. They're able to pick people up. You get the stories of people that have been abducted all their lives, the Whitley Strebers of this world. Mm. And they absolutely can i mean it's just your frequency that you're going giving out now we're all sat we all have our own frequency on the psychic side of things and spiritualists they call them your aura that we all have a unique pattern our unique vibration our unique frequency the computer we sat in front of the chair we sat on the room we sat in everything has a frequency everything has a magnetic field and so if you're able to understand that, you're able to tune it. So for ET that completely understands it and can control it, it becomes quite simple to up somebody's frequency and move it. So they're not where in that physical realm, if you like, they move from that record up to the next record or even the one above that. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's interesting. So, how how does because in in your book you talk about um, religion as well and and UFOs. So, yeah. how does how does that all fit in then? <laughs> the religions that doesn't come into it at all. That's basically what I say in my book. Okay. Because, as we all know, good and bad in all religions, and religions all god never wrote anything down or allah or buddha or whatever you want to call him at the end of the day everything's been written down by man and it's my belief i'm not saying religions are bad but religions are man-made and you can't get away from it. there's no denying it and the thing is as i said you always get good and bad in religions and people do use it as a business and do use it for the wrong ends so at the end of the day uh, provided you have high morals, good ethics, and you're there to help people, and by doing that you're helping yourself, uh, whatever religion you are, or whether you're no religion at all, it's that that makes the difference, because it's your energy, your frequency, your aura that controls everything around it, and reacts with everything around it. So positive attracts positive, and negative attracts negative. So if you're positive, and helping people then positive things and help will be returned to you and that's just the way of the universe there's no escaping it so religion really doesn't come into it <coughs> excuse me so um 
what are your thoughts then about the the theories that um, a lot of the ancient religions, and let's use the obvious one, the Egyptians, where they had various different deities, different gods. Um, there's obviously a lot of theories about them actually being aliens, visitors from from another world. Um, what's your thoughts on that then? Because it, that seems to span a lot. That theory seems to span a lot um, of ancient religions, and of course we could you know could go on to the to the famous work chariots of the gods. Um, yeah, yeah. How how do you feel about that then? Yeah, the and again, it, this is something that I suppose as I've got older, I've had more time to do a bit of research, more time to do a bit of reading, and the more you read, I think the more you realise how little we do know about uh, ancient history and and the Egyptians, mm. and a lot of it is purely often from a biased perspective as well, uh, is, is just people's opinions. And new opinions and new techniques and the development of science does change things constantly. And I think that it, there is possibly some truth that the ancient Egyptians did have some alien contact. And there are obviously uh, references, even in the Bible and, and a lot of other things where ancient man did have contact in America, the American Indians with the star people. Mm. We did have more contact with, for want of a better term, aliens uh, and ET. Um, so I think it's something that is uh, like ufology is slowly becoming mainstream and becoming more acceptable. And again, I think that's another thing with on the disclosure front mm. where we will never have full disclosure, I don't believe. However, because people have the means to immediately video something and put it straight on the internet for everybody to look at, it is becoming much, much more difficult for the authorities to keep a lid on it. Mm. And I think that is why we've suddenly got this, if you look, it's it's sort of gone hand in hand with as technologies developed so has the awareness and more openness of ufology as well yeah yeah no i i would absolutely agree with that i think it's it's becoming um more and more difficult for governments to say that there's definitely nothing out there um yeah because of the amount of um recorded uh, evidence shall we say um i mean obviously the the, the one that's been in in the news as it were recently of course is the the tic tac um ufos so yeah. yeah yeah i mean obviously you know that's that's quite compelling uh video evidence isn't it from from what i can well, now something else on that front Craig, hmm. was the that was the report which they gave which was i believe it was somewhere around june last year uh and they put that it merited further evidence however they only looked at it from 2009 to 2021 mm. but so there was the gimbal ufo the tic tac ufo they had three really good uh sort of releases if you like of video now that was they were seen through our normal spectrum if you like normal visible uh acoustic normal visible spectrum that we could see that the pilots could see so mm. you've got trained observers that have seen something in that the uh, the gimbal, the tic tac, and the, the, there was three that were all three looked at and reported by trained observers within our visible spectrum. 
all three of those instances were also recorded on radar and all three of those instances were also recorded on the aircraft gun cameras in infrared. Mm. So you've got three different mediums that are all saying the same thing. Mm. Now, so the report came out, oh yeah, it's something that we don't have enough information on, and yes, we've got to do more, and yes, we're going to throw more money out it, and we'll let you know in due course, in a nutshell. But one thing that was slipped in in the middle of it, if you read the whole report, was they have 80, eight zero of reports like that. So mm. we've only seen three of them. So that must make you wonder what's on the other 77 and how good they were. And yeah. then we haven't seen them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would imagine there's, there's an awful lot of archive footage that's, that's yeah. been buried that, um, that, that may see the light of day at some, some stage in the future, but possibly not in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, what other subjects are there in the book then? Well, is there uh, another thing that sure, yeah? Well, while we're on about the tic tac UFO, one of the things that the Captain Frager said was the thing was almost on the sea at sea level Mm. and then went vertically within seconds up to about 50,000 feet. Mm. Uh, now the 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 quote, and you'll see it all the time, historically, obviously, mm. where things were stationary, mm. they made an abrupt turn, and uh, they were doing, I don't know, 20,000, 5,000, 1,000 miles an hour, you know, from standing. Yeah. And it was like, you, you, it makes me laugh because you always get these these shills from whatever spokesperson they get in that say, oh, well, that couldn't possibly be right, and there was no... Uh, no visible flight surfaces and there was no no heat plume and those sort of g-forces would kill a person and all the rest of it it's absolute well for want of a better term it's absolute bullshit it don't count whatsoever because and now don't ask me how because i don't know i'm not a scientist but going back to the electromagnetic spectrum they are able to completely isolate themselves from anything around them Therefore, to them, they're not moving. They're all they're in their own little pocket of the universe. Mm. And if you look at the uh, people like uh, Bud Hopkins, uh, Dolores Cannon, and Kath Marden more recently, and where they've interviewed people, all of them have said uh, have had reports of eyewitnesses and abductees that have said that the craft are controlled by thought everything's instantaneous mm. now i mean i was very fortunate to meet bud hopkins when i was working with bufora uh, and i had lunch with him and he says paul he says i didn't really want to get into this he said i was uh, an artist he said i was quite happy in my life he said i wanted to do a bit more to help people so i started doing hypnotherapy mm. he said but i had he had his own ufo sighting that sort of spurred him on as well mm. but he said when people from Whatever background in life they came from, whether the poorest people in Bolivia or Mexico or the wealthiest from a Los Angeles suburb or Spain or wherever, he said they were all telling me the same story. He said, and when these people certainly didn't know and didn't know each other, he says their only contact was through me. He said, but they're all saying the same thing. He said, I began to realize that there was a lot more to it. And it was sort of with his UFO sighting, if you like, and these other people that really, in the end, 
convinced Bud to go down the road that he did in, in the end. He was uh, carrying a banner and saying, you know, this is how it is, you know. And it was an absolute gentleman, lovely guy. But anyway, so going back to the movement of UFOs. Mm. So movement in our physics is totally irrelevant. Totally irrelevant. Mm. Everything, I believe, is done by thought. It's instantaneous. They don't need to come a million light years away from this galaxy, whatever, in order to take them. So that that's the other one they've gone road they've gone down. Or they couldn't possibly exist. It taken far too long to get here. Mm. Now, at the end of the day, because if you think about it, we're on this stack of records. It's all down to frequencies. Yeah. And thought is instantaneous. Immediately, that they just tune to it. So. I do believe that there are these parallel dimensions, these parallel worlds, and they don't need, I'm not saying they can't because they do, but they don't need to come millions of miles. It's just a question of controlling and adjusting the magnetic frequency that they're on. Yeah, so they're just basically jumping from one record to the next, in effect. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no, no it's, it's it's interesting because one one of the things that, that a lot of UFO sightings um, are described as, um, as you quite rightly said, is is this this um, massive increase of speed from from you know being standstill to to, to huge speeds yeah. um, almost in, in, instantaneously. Um, and I I saw an object myself. Um, or going back to Christmas twenty eighteen now. Um, and again, it, it was it was very similar to what to what you described. It was a very clear um, early December evening, uh, and I saw an object which which was behaving in a way that that no man made object could could possibly behave in because because of what it was doing, um, the movements it was making, and then it came to a, a standstill and then suddenly shot off at extremely high speed. Um, so, you know, I've, I've seen objects do that myself, so I can, I can quite, uh, I can quite get on board with, <laughs> with, with those descriptions, because I think it's, it's a sort of standard behavior of, of, of these types yeah. of objects, you know, so, so yeah, that's, that's really interesting. What other subjects you talk about in, in the book? Well, again, the other thing, I'll, I'll just expand slightly on one of them, we're on about abductions and things like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, memory is, again, what we speak, what we uh, hear, what we think about. Your thoughts are a magnetic energy. Everything is energy. Therefore, what you experience is, and when you're speaking and you're interacting with all the other magnetic fields around you, that is able to be measured. I mean, nowadays we can do very rudimentary electroencephalographs to tell that the brain is working and what these alpha waves and beta waves and what they're doing and like yeah. when we when they do it when we're sleeping. Now again, going back to ET, if you're able to control and understand it, it becomes easy to uh, manipulate what somebody can or cannot remember. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, Calvin Parker with the Pascagoulin incident, that was the only incident that he remembered naturally. And yet when we've gone into it with more depth and uh, he's been uh, hypnotically regressed with Kath Marden, he's actually had four encounters and four abductions, but he was only aware of the one. Um, 
another one where that we often get with as investigators is subjective memories where people uh, have familiar memories instead of where they'll remember seeing an owl or they remember seeing a vehicle at the side of the road mm. uh, and they don't remember the whole of the abduction yeah. and it's because other memories are implanted to make it more if you like a bizarre act of kindness really um yeah the yeah oh sorry no it's all right and and it's in some ways if you can imagine one of the uh, examples that i give is within i did an investigation for bufora uh, back in the mid 90s where four, four adults were abducted and one of the men afterwards he said paul the, the it was a strange atmosphere all night he says and i can't remember it much of it at all he said i can clearly remember how things weren't where i'd like they were having a garden party mm. nice summer's evening uh, and he says they'd had a barbecue and they're having a drink and he says my drink wasn't where i left it he says and then i can remember looking and thinking how is it suddenly dark it didn't get dark gradually mm. and he, he said it's almost like he said if you were he said even now he said if you remember things you remember things sort of in a normal I mean, the normal brain loses a lot of its detail, but you generally remember things in the in the sort of chronologically order that they are, they happened in. Mm. But he said it was like if you can imagine your memory as a videotape. He says, and then it's been cut up. He says, and most of it's been thrown away, and then some of the other bits have been put back in the wrong order. Mm. He says that is what my memory is like of that night. So I thought that was quite a good mm. graphic description of. Yeah, it's a good analogy, that isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was. I was just. I was just going to jump in and just and just because you you were talking about um, memories of, of strange things that that probably you wouldn't think should be there. I I, I the the last podcast I did we, uh, was with um, Ronald Kinsella, and he oh, was, yeah. he was telling me about his um, abduction when he was when he was a, a young boy, and he said that um, he remembers seeing the Cheshire Cat from alice in wonderland which you know is quite a quite a bizarre um thing and 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 we had quite a, a long chat about um about how he, you know how he remembered it and and why he thought he he had this memory and he'd, he'd, he'd seen this this image um so that's that, that yeah that that is really interesting that that sort of it's almost like a planted memory then isn't it um yeah to to sort of make you feel calmer or or something that's familiar so yeah. so you know maybe um maybe you're the scanning your brain to pick out familiar memories and and, and the, they're implanting those to, to to sort of make you feel better or make, make you feel more at ease um so yeah, yeah that's 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 really quite interesting so um have you got any any plans to write a second book then? Have, have you got any up, upcoming uh, projects that you're looking at? Well, at the moment, I'm going to say no. However, uh, never say never, because I think as I've got into it more and obviously doing more podcasts, more recording, there's uh, two uh, documentaries, good documentaries coming out soon, The Pentagon UFO Files. Mm. Uh, from AM Productions, that's coming out next month. And then there's also another spin-off from that where they've been, 
they've interviewed Ronald and Philip Kinsella and myself on uh, a documentary about interdimensional UFOs. Mm. And so they're two uh, documentaries that are coming out. And it's, uh, I'm speaking at the Outer Limits magazine conference in May. But the, the thing for me is getting people to understand and having more understanding myself. It's all like me as I've spoken tonight about it. Hmm. But it's having the depth of understanding of why this is happening. And I want to know more of the physics behind it and get into it more. And I think, again, once I've got more, dare I say, material, then a second book may be forthcoming. Yeah. But at the moment, it's mainly I've, I've tried to get the whole pie together in as bad or as, as poor or as good as it is, whatever people think. But at the end of the day, I want people to think outside the box and to think there is something going on. This is why it's happening. And this is sort of my explanation of it. Now, I still may be wrong. I still might change my opinions in another five years' time. Mm. However, up to now, in over 50 years, this is how I, that's the road I've been led down and that's the path that I've been treading and that's why I've been led to believe what I believe. So I think it's, it's a big question and it's a big, uh, it's a big field and we only know the top surface of it. There's a lot more depth to it that I want to find out yet. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to, um, I want that background. <laughs> You've certainly got some some convincing theories, and and a lot of a lot of you know a lot of what we've talked about um, today, I I absolutely subscribe to to a, you know the vast majority of, of of the things we've talked to. I've I've often thought about things in in terms of frequencies and um, you know different dimensions. Certainly, my my area of interest really is more the par paranormal. Um, uh -huh. Again, I think you know there is an argument that when people are seeing certain types of paranormal activity, they aren't necessarily ghosts. They yeah. could be, um, you know, uh, beings or or people coming through from a different uh, dimension or from a different plane, or or as as you quite rightly said, from a different frequency. Um, yeah. So that's certainly given me a lot to think about, and and I've really enjoyed listening to your theories because because I, I think they're very credible um where can people getting uh, getting contact with you then or or have a look at your work you mentioned your facebook page yeah the which is well it's the real story however i can only because i'm banned at the moment i can only reply on messenger <laughs> <laughs> oh don't get me going on that one they're, they're a nightmare yeah the uh, the algorithms on facebook can can be quite peculiar <laughs> yeah Anyway, I'm, I'm, apparently I've, I was, I've just been banned on bullying harassment grounds. Oh, I mean, yeah. whatever that was about, I've no idea. <laughs> was, um, where's, where's your book available? Because I know it's, um, I know it's through Philip Mantle's. Um, yeah, Blind Dispress. Blind Dispress, yeah. Yeah, so it's available on Amazon as uh, a normal paperback, hardback, an ebook, or even as an audible. Fantastic. So, but it's uh, I've really enjoyed reading it uh, and writing it and mm. trying to just for me it was just putting the basics down and just getting people to think and like I mean by all means 
pull it to pieces and expand it and do what you want. But from a normal, I've tried to write it as an easy understanding because you do get a lot of people that are authors that tend to go into too much depth and then people put the book down and think, oh, I'll have to read that when I can concentrate on it, you know, and it's, yeah. and that's not what people want. You need to be able to pick things up easily. Yeah, you need to be able to relate to, to what you're reading. Yeah to a certain degree and, and and understand it well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you paul thank you for thank you for coming along this evening and um yeah give it certainly giving me a lot um, a lot of things to think about so so thank you all right you're very welcome craig and i hope it's been a good night for the listeners too i'm sure it has been i'm sure it has been thanks a lot paul all right you're very welcome you can visit my website at www.craigbryant.co.uk Paranormal Pendle will return, and remember to keep watching the shadows.